We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one that was and is and is to come. The first and the last, the everlasting to everlasting. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you this morning. Please be seated. Thank you, Lord. I think the one thing we have to remember anytime we're approaching God is that we approach God because God is God. We approach Him because God is God. We don't approach God because of what He's done for us or what He will do for us. We don't approach Him because of, of the things He's given us or the things He's held back in our, in our safety. We approach God because He's God. He's, he's worthy to be worshipped regardless of any situation. There were times when Paul couldn't worship, wouldn't worship. Oh no, that never happened. In all that Paul went through, he always found a worship. He always found a praise. And it wasn't about his circumstance. It was simply about the God he served. I just want to encourage you this morning as you turn to Matthew chapter 5. That you remember God today just because He's God. Just because He's God. I think a lot of times in our westernized and modernized Christianity, we, we, I was talking with Brian this morning, and you know we hear things taught and preached and taught and preached, and this subject and that subject, and the subject we should talk and preach more about than anything is Jesus Christ. Without Him, all subjects are mute. They're all, all subjects are useless. They're in vain without Him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. The reading here in Matthew chapter 5 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually the first public ministry meeting that Jesus ever held before a large crowd. Jesus was placing an emphasis when you read verses 38 through 42. He was placing an emphasis on the retaliation of men toward one another. There's a tendency of, among men to retaliate. There's a tendency in our nature to retaliate. And Jesus was actually bringing to point what retaliation is about and what it's not about. You know, the law dem demanded an eye for an eye. The law demanded a tooth for a tooth. And so now Jesus is actually propelling them above the law, beyond the law. Jesus said, I came not to forsake the law. I came to fulfill it, or I came to propel it into a greater spiritual awareness and meaning. And so, you know, a lot of times people look at the old law, they just push it to the side, when in fact the old law gives us statement in, in, in places of reference to, to what Jesus brought into our lives. Because, because the old law was given to the, to the Jews by God, Jesus' whole point and preface to the place that we're going to talk about today is exactly what it means to go a second mile. 
as Jesus talked about going the second mile, he's painting a picture in the, in the minds of, of the Jews here. See, in those days, the Romans owned all public access, all public highways, all public roads. They were all owned and, and ruled uh, by the Romans. And any time that a Roman was taking a set of goods somewhere, they could come up to any time to any able-bodied man and say, I want you to help me transport these goods to, to, to the region I'm taking it. And it was required by Roman law that if, if he asked you, you had to carry it, but you were only required to carry it one mile. And the Jews had become so good at this that they knew exactly how many steps to take to get to one mile. And when they got to that last step, they literally would just dump the stuff on the ground and walk away. And so Jesus is painting a picture here that really uh, they didn't really like because they, they, they hated the Romans, they hated the Roman Empire, they hated Roman rule, and to have to carry something for a Roman was very distasteful and disgusting. The most enjoyable part of, part of the trip, what they loved the most was getting to the end where they just dumped everything on the ground. You'll remember that as Jesus was carrying his cross through the city and fell beneath it, this, this very act happened when, when one of the Roman soldiers spoke to Simon of Cyrene and said, You, you, pick, pick up that cross. And so he was required to pick up that cross by law because the Roman soldier called him out. And so he picked that up, not, not out of, you know, a love for Jesus, not out of a, you know, uh, I, I'm a Jew and I'll, uh, he's a Jew and we're going to, no, he picked it up because the Roman told him to. And so he carried that cross up to Golgotha for Jesus. Amazingly, when you read later, Simon had two sons, Alexander and Rufus, who Paul at the end of Romans speaks about these two sons. Now, if you know anything about the time that Simon of Cyrene was visiting, he was from out of town. He was there for the feasts, and he was there visiting. He wasn't even a local. And yet his, him carrying the cross by law put him together with the Messiah, with a Savior, with a Redeemer. And later on we find that the two sons that he had were in the kingdom of God. So, you know, could it be that the unexpected events of bearing someone else's cross in your life could actually bring your children, your family, your life into, into the into the life of God? Could it be that the things that you go through sometimes, a lot of times we look at the crosses we bear and we wonder what in the world when the fact is the cross is meant to, to bring people into our, our burdens, our crosses are meant to bring people into the kingdom. No doubt, again, the second mile was just not popular. Now understand that in your life as a Christian, here you're going to be called and called and called in your life to bear crosses. It's part of the Christian walk. It's part of the Christian way. Jesus said, you know, if you're going to follow him, you've got to take up your cross to follow him. It's not a, this is not a cross-free journey. This is not a cross-free life. But we've got to learn to, to take up people's crosses, to, to take up our own crosses. We've got to, to learn in order to follow Jesus. There's going to be calls of possible injustices. You ever felt like the call on your life to do something was just an injustice to you? There's going to be calls that, the, that you feel like is going to hurt you. Have you ever been called to do something for the Lord and you felt like it hurt you? Because it's going to happen. Uh, you ever been called to tasks that you really were done, you did them out of necessity, not, not out of uh, a choice. You did them just because. This world we live in is a one-mile world. It's not just a Jewish thing. 
the world, especially in America, we live in a one-mile world where when you're asked to do something, the general populace will go just as far as they have to. They know the exact steps on what it takes to get to that point, and from that point, they drop it. And we live in that one-mile world, just enough to get by. And the problem with a one-mile world and operating in the one-mile system is that it affects the nation. Part of the problems we're having in our nation is that we refuse to go a second mile. My way or the highway. Or believe it like me, you know, there are groups that say, you know what, uh, you and I can agree as long as you believe like me. We used to could sit down and have civil conversation about our differences with no issues. But the one-mile world we live in today requires that you sit down with me while I tell you what I believe Keep your mouth shut. That's the one-mile world. It's when we see a need, well, here's as far as I know to go. Uh, I'll donate to the food bank. And that way, if that person needs food, then that's the one-mile world. A two-mile world is you taking that person to the grocery store and buying them a week's worth of groceries. How often do we? It's easier for us to go the one mile, isn't it? The problem is it affects us in our workplace. Do you work with one-mile people? They take it just as far as they have to, just as far as they can get by, and they won't go over. If you're a one-mile person, don't expect to get promoted in your work. Coming from having been a manager at a pretty big-sized place, the people that go the extra mile are the people that get the raise. The people that go the extra mile are the people that get promoted. We had little badges we gave out to people, and when you got five badges, you got money. The company would send you money, and the badges were for good customer service. I never once gave one badge to any person that was a one-mile person, not once. If you go the one mile, that's the requirement. You shouldn't get any. You know, I had people, they would do their job and come to me and say, I need a raise. Why? Well, I did this, this, and this. Well, that's what I hired you for. Yeah, but, but I did this, this. Well, that's... That's what I hired you for. That's why you got a paycheck. But I should get an extra rate. Well, you know what? You know why you get a raise? Because you go the second mile. See, our world is full of places where we want to raise because we're working. We want to raise because we showed up for work. We want to raise because we did what we were required to do. We want to raise over and over again. And listen, that's not how the kingdom works because a one-mile kingdom doesn't exist. If you're a one-mile Christian, guess what? Because Jesus said, if you've you got to go the second mile, you got to take up your... If you're a one-mile Christian, you, you might just take the last word off of the sentence. You're a one-mile. There's no such thing as a one-mile Christian. We all have to go the second mile. That's, that's the call on our lives. But sadly, is the one-mile concept is affecting the church. We do just about enough to get by. We're, there are Christians in our Churches today that are sterile of the power of God because they're one-mile Christians. They're sterile of the power. You know what it means to be sterile? Can't have any children. That's what it means. Can I? My friend, if you have no children in Christianity, you're a sterile Christian. No, this wasn't easy for me to hear either. If you have no children in Christianity, you're a sterile Christian. You're one-mile Christian. If you have no, oh, but you know, we, we, we give to this, and that's great. 
That's great. That's great that we give to, and, and, and this goes out of the airwaves. But, but I can tell you, 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 you have children in the family, but you have children here. You, you don't run off and have children elsewhere. This could get you in trouble. Let that sink in a second. It's going to get you in trouble. We should be having children here. And if we're not having children, that means there's either one of two things. We're not having a relationship. You know, just let that, I'm trying to be nice for the young people. You're not having a relationship or you're sterile. Are you sterile? Has it ever been this quiet in this church? I can hear the baptistry still going. Sterile Christians are the ones that come to church just enough to get by. Sterile Christians are enough who pray just enough to get by. Sterile Christians are those who read just enough word to feel like they've made contact with God. You know, we've got people in our society that are trying to make contact with aliens. And they work harder at it than we make contact with God sometimes. I don't know if there's aliens out there. I I don't care. If they show up on the lawn today, so what? Does it make God any smaller? Or Matter of fact, to me, it makes God bigger. We think we're all that. God's all that, but we're not. Can, Can I say... Well, I'm already saying that. Well, I'm asking your permission. This, this is not trying, I'm not trying to demean anybody here or hurt your, uh, the way you think about Scripture. <clears throat> the word spirit in the Bible is, is pneuma, and it's, it's the life, breath, the life. And so when we use the term Holy Spirit, we're talking about the holy life of God. <clears throat> the word ghost means the Spirit are the holy life of the departed one. And there's a reason Jesus said you receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He didn't say the Holy Spirit. Spirit and ghost are the same. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost are the same. But there's a connotation in the way you use it. And what I've found through my process of 40 years of being in the church is that most of the time, don't, y'all don't get mad at me. If, most of the time when I hear people that repetitively use Holy Spirit, it's because they're sterile. They don't like the power part of it. I know that some of you look at me like, what in the world are you talking about? It's because over the process of 40 years, I've observed something. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. Which ones? You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You know why is that? Because the Holy Ghost is that life. You're going to receive the power of life from the Spirit of the departed one. But what happens is, when we go one mile, we lose power. You'll never hear the word sacrifice in a one-mile Christian. Never hear it. You'll, you'll never hear the term, uh, others come first, in a one-mile Christian. You'll never hear that in a one-mile Christian. David shows us the best, or what would happen when a person actually goes the extra mile. There were some of David's enemies that he didn't retaliate against. He merely went the second mile. There were times in David's life when he had the right to retaliate. But you ever felt like you had the right to retaliate? Man, I have. Man, there's been times I felt like, you know what? This is, God, you gave me an opening. I'm going to take it. God never gives me an open to retaliate. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Let's see. Who does a better job at repaying vengeance, Don or God? That's easy. That's easy. 
Well, David understood those things, and so he, he showed us how to go the second mile many times. Now, listen, he could have taken Saul's life. But because Saul was the anointed man of God at the time, he said, no, I'm going to go the second mile. He knew he would been, had been anointed king, and he knew Saul was the one in his way. If Saul's out of the way, David's now king. What did he do? Instead of taking his life, he goes the second mile. David fled over the revolt of Absalom, his son. Now, I don't have a son. I have brothers. But if, if I had a son or brothers that revolted up against me, it would be hard to go the second mile because the first mile dawn would step up. But David didn't go the second mile. Dave, David fled instead, and he wept over the death of his own son because he went the second mile. Listen, when, when, when difficulties come your way, when things come your way, you have a choice. You can go the first mile or you can go the second mile. You can be the one-mile man or the second-mile man. You can be the one-mile woman, the second-mile woman. Psalm, 20, Psalm 92, 12 through 13. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. If you'll notice throughout Scripture, the Word of God has particular symbols that have divine inspirational meanings to them. One of you, you read about fire. We know in the Old Testament, fire was where, when God received uh, the sacrifice. And now we know that when the Holy Ghost comes, you speak with, with cloven tongues like as of fire. There, there's, there's a connotation of, there's a divine inspiration in the symbol. Uh, when I received the Holy Ghost, my head didn't catch on fire. I didn't lose all my hair, and I, you know, but there's, there's a symbol. So there are symbols that, that show power and anointing. Every time you see fire in Scripture, you see power or you see anointing. It's a symbol. The eagle in Scripture, you always see it's a symbol of strength, of courage, of ability. When you see sheep in the Scripture, what symbol do you see? A quiet, gentle animal that needs a leader, a shepherd. Jesus often used sheep as a symbol of the quiet person that needed the leadership because they didn't have the capability to, be, to do their own thing. They needed a shepherd. And you find the cedar tree. Man, I got cedars all over the place. And this is the worst time of year to have cedars. You can just walk by them and that yellow stuff comes at you. You can just look at them and they just comes at you. It's like it's an attractant or something. And man, it just, but cedars, a cedar tree has a very significant thing in Scripture. It's a very significant spiritual understanding, especially the cedars of Lebanon. Now, King, King Hiram uh, was the leader of the nation of Tyre, and, and he contributed all of the cedars, the great cedars, uh, that went into Solomon's temple when they built the temple. The they came from the mountains of Lebanon. They were these huge, strong cedar trees. They were used for the underpoundings, the, the framing, and the rafters of the temple. But as the temple was completed and built, you never, ever saw the cedars. They were covered. But they were there because they were the strength of the temple. They were the rafters. They were the, they were the, the construction, the inner frame. Those cedars served as this inward bracing for and outward, and that's why a lot of times you will find in Scripture that, that, that we're, we, we refer to as the children of God as cedars. We should be cedars that, to have that inward structure, that, that strength. That, uh, we may not be seen, but we should have that inward structure because of outward pressures. All the pressure of that, that building, the, the temple, came down on these cedars. All of the stone and all, the, all that pressure was resting upon them. And so 
Sometimes inside we've got to learn to bear the pressure of the outside world. You know, cedars are spoken in various places in Scripture. They're spoken in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Zephaniah, and Zechariah. And many times they're mentioned in the book of Psalms. And maybe cedars, if you've ever viewed large cedars, and you, you really need to see a picture of a, a cedar in Lebanon. Those things grow 60 to 80 feet tall. And they have these wide branches that they have. They they reach out like you know, when you re read the description. It says they have wide branches that are heaven-reaching branches because the tree is heaven-reaching, and it's tempest grappling. In other words, when things come against it, it's strong. It stands strong. It's and that's the characteristics of a good child of God. Wide branches, wide branches, reaching to the heavens. When the tempest comes, they're strong. Why are they strong? Because the cedars of Lebanon grow in these very unlikely places. They grow in the mountains. They grow in the mountains. Because they were from the mountains, they, they, the cedars learned to bear extreme cold, extreme weather. There, there's, Tyre is a coastal city, actually on the Mediterranean Sea, but it has a series of mountains about it. And, and so... Just as it has the hard winter, it has that, that hum, humid summer that comes off the Mediterranean. And so what the, these timbers learn to do, these cedars learn to do, is th through the various situations that come their way, they learn to root themselves. When they, when they cut a cedar down and they dig up the trunk of the cedar, what they find is this, that because they're in the mountains, they still need water like every other tree. And so their roots grow deep, deep, deep into that mountain until they find undercurrents, springs that run through the mountain. And so that's why these cedars are so big and strong and so powerful. Uh, they can withstand gales. You know, the Mediterranean is known uh, for big gales that, come, that are very destructive. You, know, you, you read stories about ships that have sunk there simply because of the winds and the rains that come. And so that's what these trees endure. The issue is they grow at about 6,000 feet in elevation in other words you go up the mountain 6,000 feet and that's where they grow they don't grow below 6,000 feet now if you know anything about forestry you know that 6,000 feet is about the cutoff for all vegetation on mountains if you go to mountains anywhere in America you'll find it at about 6,000 feet all of a sudden there's no vegetation it's just dirt and rocks and snow but these trees grow at the place where nothing else grows and they're stronger than any trees. They're deeper rooted than any trees that are in the areas. Two-mile Christians have to have this adversity as well. Listen, that's what a two-mile Christian is about. You grow strong in spite of diversity. You go strong in spite of, in spite of placement. You, you sink your roots deep because you know there's, you, in order to be supportive, in order to be supportive, you've got to sink them deep. You know, it's amazing to me how many people, we used to call it church hopping. You don't, I don't think they call that anymore. How many people, they, they would go from church to church. They'd go long enough until they didn't like something. In other words, somebody said, sink a root in here. Uh-uh. And they would go to another church because then they could have those little roots that are, <clears throat> you don't know, know much about oak trees? Oak trees have a vast root system. The problem is it's very shallow. Very shallow. That's why they blow over so easy in storms. Pine trees have this deep taproot. You keep digging, you keep digging, you keep digging, and finally you just cover it up because you can't find the end of it. I grew up in East Texas. I can tell you about pine trees. But understand that that's what the, these cedars of Lebanon, they're special. There's cedars all over the place. These cedars of Lebanon are special. 
listen, through pits and accusations, through prisons, we've got to have this understanding that there's a purpose in our life in being a cedar. Joseph understood, listen, this ain't about the pit. It's not about Potiphar's house. It's not about being in prison. It's not about being forgotten. It's all about the fact that I have a purpose. And so i got to sink some deep roots. Joseph had deep roots. Otherwise, he would not have survived the hurricane in his life. He would not have survived the hot winter in his life or hot summer in his life. He would not have survived the snow. He wouldn't have survived the lack of water, any of that, unless he sunk his roots deep into God. And that's what he did. Those are the places when we really learn to trust God. That's why you see the cedars of Lebanon used in Scripture like you do. Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Not part of it. Not a section. Not a room. With all thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge Him. Man, that's, that's the tough part of the Scripture. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. Because there's times when we don't want to acknowledge God unless we're blaming God. What? Why am I in this place, God? Deeper roots. Why am I in this place, God? Broader branches. Why not? Again, these trees grow 60. They soar into the sky, 60 to 80 feet. They reach and stretch throughout the mountain to find their water. There's something awe-inspiring about a person whose roots are deep in God. You ever met that person that no matter what happens, their roots sunk in, no matter what happens in their life. I've met some people that you think, man, if there's any reason for that person to leave the household of God, I, I, I would get that. And they're like, nope. Their roots are deep and they're solid. Something so inspiring about that. Tribulation comes their way. Trials comes their way. They just don't quit. They don't give up. In Daniel's day, a proclamation was set forth in the law. We know what that was. You cannot pray. King said, you can't do it. Nobody can do it. And so there's something about Daniel inside of him. There's a cedar inside of Daniel. He's got roots in God. He's got branches that way out there. So what does he do when he gets the proclamation? Daniel gets up, goes to his house, goes up, comes to the top, and then he opens the windows. He doesn't just go up there and say, okay, I'm going to pray in my prayer closet. No, he opened the windows so everybody could hear. Why is that? Because he was a two-mile man in a one-mile world. He wasn't about to let those things affect his walk with God. He had developed this relationship with God and he prayed every day, three times a day. How many of us pray three times a week? You see how the roots get deep? Because when, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. If any man thirsts, let him come to me. You know why Jesus said that? Because in order... When a cedar thirsts, it sinks its roots deeper and deeper until it gets what it needs out of, out of the ground. And that's what we're supposed to do in spirit, sink ourselves deeper because the spirit is the thing that quenches the thirst, God said. He said, I'll give you, there'll be rivers of living water that flow out of you. This spake here, the spirit. So I figured something out. They were in captivity for 70 years. And so if Daniel prayed three times a day and he only played, prayed five minutes each time, that's 15 minutes a day, right? So in 70 years, he would have prayed 6,387 hours. 
63, if he only prayed five minutes a pop three times a day, I, I'm quite sure he prayed more than five minutes a pop. 6,300. Have you ever considered that you might have prayed 6,000 hours? Just on that limit. When Daniel heard the decree, he went to his knee. Why? Because Daniel was a cedar. We like to say in Texas, oh, that man's an oak. That's the wrong saying. Oak trees get big and they go tall. They have very little root. To say that person is an oak, you know, that's a hardwood and a strong. No, he's a cedar of Lebanon. Daniel had deep roots. He, when he faced adversity, he knew his God. And Daniel understood something 600 years before Paul was even in the ministry. Daniel understood something about God. Philippians 1, 20-21, According to my earnest expectation, Paul says, and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Daniel understood that. Nothing. I'm not going to be ashamed, and I'm not going to be told I can't pray. And nothing, I'm not going to be ashamed. But that with all boldness. You know what? I don't care what happens. In my boldness, I'm going to open my windows and I'm going to pray. And always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Daniel said, you know what? You can kill me, but God's going to be magnified in me. He understood something 600 years before it is ever written. Whether it be by life or death. And here Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. To die? gain. That's what Daniel understood way before it was ever written down. Cedars grow in adverse times, adverse conditions, adverse weather, adverse places. Midnight storms, hard cold winters, very dry summers only help the cedar to flourish. Let me say that again. Midnight storms, hard cold winters, dry, dry summers only cause a cedar to flourish. It's in those places when they sink their roots deep and those limbs begin to grow out further and further. Revival today, revival in our world, revival in your house. Let me just start in your house. Revival in your house starts with being a two-mile Christian. It starts with being a two. You're not going to have revival in your home if you're a one-mile Christian. It's not going to happen. Revival in this church is going to start when we become two-mile Christians and not be satisfied with being one-mile Christians. Revival in this state will happen when we decide we're going to be two-mile Christians. Man, I've heard Christians say this over and over. Our country has no hope and no chance. I don't know what God you're serving. I don't know who He is. But it ain't Jesus. It ain't Him. You're serving somebody else. Because with Him, there's nothing impossible with God. This whole, they were making fun on national news how that there's a group of people in America that want to make America, a total Christian nation. And they were making fun of them. That'll be ha-ha funny when he does it. Yeah, it, it'll all change when God does it. But it takes two-mile Christians. It takes us being two-mile Christians. The willow tree bends very easy. Have you been around willow trees? From South Texas, you go to Louisiana, you see a lot of willow trees. They grow close to water. They're just, they bend real easy. Aspen trees... They tremble. You ever watch an aspen? The largest organism in the world is a group of aspen trees in Colorado. The largest organism in the world 
is a group of organ. They found out that these aspen trees in Colorado are all connected into one root system. And yet they tremble anytime there's a storm. They fall and they break easily. The bramble, the bramble has very sharp points, and the bramble tree only knows how to wound and sting. So God's looking for some cedars today. Let, let me end with, a, with an actual parable from the Old Testament. Yes, parables were in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come up with the parable. The Old, the Old Testament has many parables. Look in Judges chapter 9, verses 7 through. Turn with me if you would. Let's, Judges. I won't read the whole thing for the sake of time. Judges chapter 9. Let's begin. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of the Mount Jezreel and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. So now he begins to tell a parable. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. You see the parable? The trees, all the trees of the forest, went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness, wherein by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Should I leave my fatness that honors God and man to be promoted over the forest? And so the tree said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees, man, it just, to the vine, come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees unto the bramble, come now and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, if in truth ye anoint me, the king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. It's a very interesting parable. The parable comes from a time when, when those that were in rule just really didn't have strength in their lives. Abimelech had been made king over, that's why he's speaking to the men of Shechem. Abimelech had been made king over Shechem, and Abimelech wasn't a very strong Matter of fact, when Jotham heard that Abimelech was made king, he came and told them the parable we just read. So it comes down to this bramble who's going to be the ruler, the king over all the forest, over all the olive trees and the fig trees and the vineyards and the cedars. And what he was trying to tell them through this parable was this, that listen, all you trees, you're living beneath your privilege. You're allowing the bramble to come. The bramble is sharp and pointed. And as a matter of fact, the bramble threatens to burn you as a forest. The bramble insinuated that he would bring this fire and destroy the forest. Fear is this hard and awful taskmaster. You see what the bramble did? when He, he said, listen, if you anoint me king, let me just tell you, this is going to happen or I'm going to scare you to death. I'm going to burn you up. 
I'm going to bring fear into your life. And fear into what he's trying to tell them is, listen, you're anointing kings that's going to do anything but bring fear into your life. You would think the cedar of Lebanon would be the strong one. But even the cedars of Lebanon, when they fall, the fear can be burned. Fear is, again, a hard taskmaster. You know, Satan wants to bring this fear into your life, even if you are a cedar of Lebanon as a Christian. He wants to threaten you with destruction and all that. Bring that fear into you. Now, listen, it's time for some of us that that are one-mile cedars of Lebanon to become two-mile cedars of Lebanon. It's time for some of us to say, you know what? I'm done with the threats. I'm done with the fear. I'm done with the anguish. I'm done with the awful taskmaster that's going on in this world today. Many of us don't do what we should do simply because we're not willing to be a second-mile cedar. Our, our Christianity is built on Internet. We're going to win the world through Internet. We're going to buy another jet plane. I've got three. I'm going to buy another one so I can spread the gospel to the other side of the world. Our, our, our Christian world is built with all of this, and it's great to have the Internet. It's great to be able to travel. But do we understand what it means to be a second-mile Christian? What if they ground every airplane in the world? Nobody can go. What if they shut off the Internet? Oh, that could never happen. Oh, yeah? What if they shut down all formal ways of communication? No phones. No shortwave radios. What if they cut? How are we going to get the gospel out? It's going to be the second mile cedars of Lebanon who have their roots dug deep, who have weathered the storm. You see, that's what the world's, that's what's going to happen in the world in the end times. This great falling away, this apostasy, that, that's not non Christians. Non Christians aren't falling away from God. They're already away. This great falling away that Paul talked about is the falling away of the one-mile cedars. Those that haven't sunk their roots in and haven't gotten, they haven't endured and gone through. Man, life's tough sometimes as a Christian. Well, Pastor, I've never run into any tough things in my life as a Christian. Might want to check a few things out. Might want to go back to the beginning. Because Jesus said it's going He said, you know, don't you think that if I am the master and I receive tribulation, and I receive anger, and they want to beat me and kill me, don't you think it's not going to happen to you? Many in America don't think this could ever happen in America. It would ever come to a place where they would kill you because you're a Christian. We don't believe that, do we? Can this be honest house today? Can this be honest house? It's not tabernacle of praise. It's honest house. Do you really believe that sometime in America, in your lifetime, it could come to a point that if you're a Christian, they'll kill you? Because Jesus said you better believe it. Because if they did it to him, they're going to do it to you. It's going to happen. It only takes, the only way you're going to make it is to be the cedar. That's the second mile cedar, the second mile Christian. You got your roots deep. The adversities that come into your life are just adversities. That's all they are. As a matter of fact, they make you stronger. They make you better. They bring you to a place of strength. You're the cedars that they used to build the temple with. 
you're the, the second mile cedar is the one. They didn't go get cedars from anywhere else because they knew the cedars they needed were those that were 6,000 feet up into the mountains. Can you imagine taking a 60-foot cedar tree down and carrying it down a mountain 6,000 feet? 5,280 feet is a mile. So you're going to carry this thing. We can imagine it because we have log trucks. There was no log truck in those days. They did their best with what they had, and that was an animal. So there's a time in the church's history, the Scripture tells us there's a falling away. And that falling away is the one-mile cedar, people who don't have their roots. There's some two-mile men, and I'll end with this, two-mile men in our history of our, of, of, of our near history of humanity. You know about John Milton. Anybody know who John Milton he was the writer of Paradise Lost. He, before he became the, one of the most recognized poets ever, he had to sell his copyright of Paradise Lost, which later would bring in millions of dollars for $72. But he was a cedar, and he didn't quit. William Shakespeare, on his way to becoming probably one of the greatest playwrights in the history of man, he held horses at the door uh, for a London theater for six pence a day. But he was a cedar. He, had his, he didn't give up. Homer struggled with blindness when he wrote the Odyssey before reaching the pinnacle of philosophy and literary giants. Adelaide Stevenson, he, he was this watch, watchmaker. He only made a few pennies uh, a week making watches and doing watch repair. That was before he put the locomotive on the track. Adelaide Stevenson invented the locomotive. What did the locomotive do to the world? Changed the world. You know what? He had deep roots. He, he wasn't going to be shaken. Listen, adversity, storms, situations, they are root stimulators. You know roots? We use root stimulators out. Well, I say we, Janet does. She likes to do it around her flowers. Why is that? Because it stimulates the roots. And you know what? The basis of that flower really growing is what happens to the roots. And that, that's what adversity is in your life. It's a root stimulator. That's what trial is in your life. It's a, that's what makes you become a second mile cedar of Lebanon is those things. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Oh, man. This is last year for years. What's years in eternity? Our light afflictions, but for a moment, worketh for us as a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The things you, you're going through, the struggles you're having, even though you're hanging on as a second mile cedar, is, is you're, you're really, the, the things you're going through are just a brief thing because they're putting something for you in eternity. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things that are seen are temporal the things not seen. Revivals come from those who worship in cold churches. You ever been in a cold church? Revivals come from people who will worship God in a cold church, from people who will spend time in God's altar. That's where revivals come from, who refuse to let the visions and dreams for the church die. That's where revivals come from. Who stick with God no matter what's going on around them. 
Listen, revival will happen for you, and it'll happen for your family, and for your neighborhood, and for your city, and for your county, and for your state, and for the government, and for the world, if you decide to become a two-mile Christian, if you decide to become the cedar of Lebanon that digs its roots deep. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Over the process of a couple of years, God has been dealing with our church and has, has done some things. There, uh, You know, if you remember, oh, just about two years ago, God gave me a message. I preached it, and it was that God was going to do some sifting. Look around you. There's nothing ugly about anybody. That doesn't mean somebody was right or wrong. It just means that God had to do some sifting. When I worked for Champion International, who's a paper company when I was a kid, uh, we would take down entire forests and, and harvest the wood. But we would come behind it and make these rows, and these guys would pull these, on these bulldozers this little thing. It was like a, a little trailer, but it was turned around backwards. And the guy would ride. Can you imagine riding? There's no shocks, anything like that. But you're going across this rough land that's been taken down by dozers. And so you're bouncing like this, and there's this thing inside of it that's going around and around. And about every two feet, there, there's this little thing sticking up like a fork. And you had these trees, these pine trees that were about this tall, in a basket beside you. And as they're pulling you down there, you just stuck a tree in that little fork, in the next fork. And all day long, that's all you did. Man, what a job. But the reason they did that was they learned this. A force within itself will harm itself because it doesn't drop seedlings or, or creates, doesn't drop cones and stuff and seedlings in a projected way that allows the most use of the land. Most of the timber that we cut down, you could have had it twice that amount of timber in there had somebody actually regulated. And that's what this company did. And they grew twice as many trees and produced twice as much paper, paper products out of these trees of, of doing this. So, you know, it, it was like, but, but it, it makes sense. It makes sense. You know, a lot of times in our lives, what, we're cluttered. We're, we're cluttered. There's so much growing up around us. So much, you know, I remember finding, we, 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 my dad did a lot of the clearing, but you'd go out there and the underbrushing is what they call underbrushing. All, all the little brush, they would go out and mow it. And you would find all these little seedling trees in different places just scattered at will and at random. Most of them died. Most of them died. Again, it's because everything was at random and scattered. And what, what it takes in our lives as Christians is sometimes, as God did, he has to come in, and he has to bulldoze the area. And he has to make the area ripe so that it can be more productive, that you can plant more trees. You see, God wants to plant some more cedars in here. He wants to plant some more cedars in here. Some cedars of Lebanon, some strong. He wants to plant some more. He's got what he wants here now. You understand something about you? Can I, can I throw you a bone? God sees you as a cedar of Lebanon. That's why you're still here. He sees you as a cedar of Lebanon, strong, got my roots down. I'm here to stay. I'm going to grow. He sees you as that. But he's also saying this, listen, I've had to do that thing so that I can plant some more because that's what we're about, producing more cedars 
so that the cedars can support the temple. I'm not telling you to support me. Support the temple. What is the temple? The house of God. This is not the house of God. This is a building we meet. You are the house of God. And that's what the cedars are for. We're here to support one another, to frame one another, to rafter one another, so that when the outside forces come against us, we can support the temple. Your faith, your love, your concern, all those things, your give, all that supports the temple. It supports one another. And so a couple of years ago, God, now have you noticed what God has been doing in the last year and a half? No? Okay. You want me to tell you? It's easier that way, isn't it? When, when you do forestry like I was talking about, there, what has to happen is you don't just go in and bulldoze everything down. But you, they're, they're, they windrow. It's called windrow. They, they push all of the stuff that they push down into these long rows, and they burn it. And they, they burn it to get rid of it. But they burn it for another reason. Once it's burnt, they take these dozers and they spread. It's like a fertilizer. And they spread it all throughout there so that when they plant the new trees, you don't have to run out, run out there with one of those Scots feeders and fertilize. You know, can you imagine fertilizing a thousand acres with a Scots feeder? You, you don't do that. They, they use what's natural in there. And so in the last year and a half, that's what God has done. God has fertilized us. If you look back and you look back on the sermons that I preached and bishops preached and some others of you that have preached some word here, it's been fertilized. Why, why do you fertilize ground? <laughs> exactly. Growth. It's growth. And so now we're in that place, that new season, where God's ready for us to get inside of that little... God's the bulldozer. He's ready for us to sit down in that little capsule and start... Because He's ready for some cedars of Lebanon to be here. Some strong Christians... Sadly to say, there's going to be some weak Christians in this last day. I'm going to give you the East Texas version. You ain't it. You're not the weak ones. That's how much God believes in you today. So what better thing can we do today than just to tell God, okay, God, we're ready for you to start planting. We're ready for you to start planting. Are you ready for some new trees in the house? Some new cedars of Lebanon? Some of us have grown a little tired because we're doing a lot of work in the church. Totally understand that. Totally get that. Wouldn't you like it if there was two or three other people in the church that could do exactly what you're doing and could, could relieve some of the stress and the strain? God, it's time to plant. We're ready. Put us in the carrier. Let us go. It's time to plant. If you're ready for real revival, real revival, I'm just helping the altars this morning. Just, there's not, it's, I know this is a peculiar type message, but it's a simple, simple, simple message. The answer to it is this. Yes, God, I'm ready for some more cedars. I want you to understand something as God's people. You're here because God trusts you and has faith and belief in you. You're here because you're a cedar. You're a strength. You've got some good roots. 
Do we have more growing? Yeah, cedar, like I said, grows 60 to 80 feet. When it reaches 60, it doesn't stop. It'll keep growing until it's harvested or until its time is over. So that's what we have to do. We have to keep growing, but at the same time recognize, you know what? You know, one of the reasons the roots are so deep in a cedar up in those 6,000, all you ever been up to Colorado and see all that snow that gets on the top of those? And the weight of those limbs just, just starts to bend down. But what happens is, because that cedar's so big and, it, and it's grown strength and those big limbs that stick way out, it can support that. Those limbs, it's the prettiest sight you'll ever see. It's beautiful. And that's how God sees you. You're the prettiest sight God's ever seen. You're beautiful. You can, you can support that weight. You can support that the thing that's coming. You, you're there because you can support it. You're beautiful because you're that cedar. God just wants some more cedars on His plantation. On, his, on, on this place of tree, cedar trees of Lebanon, He wants more cedars. Lord Jesus, God, You've been over the past year and a half or two years preparing for a time such as this. God, we understand the things that have happened and we've seen the things that have happened in no course of any person bad or good. It's just how you did things because you knew the cedars of Lebanon that needed to be in Tabernacle of Praise for the time such as this. And so there, there are cedars, there are cedar seedlings and cedar cones outside here, Lord, outside of our church that you want to plant in here. But it's going to take the strength of the current cedars to support the others around until those cedars grow into their own strength, until their roots get deep, until their limbs get wide, until they reach into the heaven, Lord. So God, as you're calling us in this last hour that we live in, we, we don't know what day you're coming, Lord. We know that it'll be in the twinkling of an eye. But God, we don't want to be the Laodicean church that's in the end, the, the falling away. We don't want to be the trees that are plowed down and burned. We want to be the cedars, God, that represent you. That when people look at this church, they say, I don't know what that is and this is, but that church is a church of God. That church has faith. That church has miracles. That church believes. That church has word. And more than anything, that church preaches Jesus. So God, as we stand here together at this altar, not so much an altar call as it is an altar commitment. We so commit ourselves to you as your, as your cedars. We commit ourselves as the second mile person. You said be willing to go a second mile. God, help me first as pastor to go the second mile. And help us as your people to go the second mile. The first mile is easy as it's expected. Make a second mile people, second mile cedars, cedars of Lebanon. Not to be burned by the bramble, but to be strong for the kingdom in this end. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. 
We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.